Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, uh, along with a few of our own personal recommendations. My name is John Bowen, and I'm here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, great to see you. You too, John. What have we got to talk about today? Lots of good things, I hope. Uh, Yes, we've got two thrilling titles, little clue there, but uh, we've got a movie and a series. What are we talking about, Ali? We're talking about the movie Kimmy, which has launched um, on Binge recently, which uh, hasn't gone to theatres. It's come straight to platform, starring Zoe Kravitz. And then we're talking about Shining Vale, a new, what do we call this genre? Uh, horror comedy? Comedy horror, yeah. Comedy One, horror? Yeah. Um, comedy, I don't know. Is there, a, is there a mush up for this? Called Shining Vale, which is a new um, series, and it stars none other than Courtney Cox, amongst a host of other very cool people. So we've got that to talk about as well. Well, let's get started with Kimmy. I'm a voice stream interpreter. I may have heard a crime on one of the streams. The devices pick up lots of things. Just mark this degraded audio and delete it. I am not capable and you know it. I think a woman might need help. How do I find out who she is? You need a device number and the admin code. Will you make me one? This is the last favor, Cotness. Prolific director Steven Soderbergh returns for his latest film in the new thriller, Kimmy, starring Zoe Kravitz as Angela, a woman suffering from agoraphobia and anxiety who works from home, uh, monitoring misunderstood commands customers make through their Kimmy device. Think of a Amazon Alexa or, or Google Home. When Angela hears what she thinks is the recording of a crime, she struggles to alert those higher up at her company and connect to those around her for help. Ali, the many things to like about this film, one of my favourite things was its tight 90-minute duration. Wasn't that good? Like, considering we often watch series where episodes wander into this kind of territory at an episodic length, let alone a whole series length, it was, um, yeah, good story, good pace, and just an old-fashioned film that, you know, told a story, filled a void, and made you have a think. I liked it. I like that you said old-fashioned because I think there is something quite timeless about the story while at the same time it's very of the moment like they're dealing with COVID they're talking about all these devices we bring into our houses to spy on us you know dealing with working from home so there's lots of like incredibly current topics but at the same time I was watching the film and thought she probably wouldn't be working from home on Zoom if this was made 20 years ago but she could just as easily be an accountant who like stumbles onto a crime in a letter or like you know a telephone operator who overhears something by accident the fact that is this interesting technology that's sort of the way in is is really cool and and interesting but yeah I thought the story itself was actually quite timeless of someone stumbling into a crime and then sort of struggling to alert the authorities. Yeah and you kind of think about the shows of the 90s you know Pelican Brief and some of those John Grishamy stuff like not that I'm saying it's like that in its tone or its style but yeah I used to really enjoy coming in and watching a film that solved a problem and then you know, moved on. like, And I really liked this about this film. And to your point, it's only an hour and a half. I actually went to pause it towards the end to go, oh, should I go make a cup of tea at the kind of towards the end of the evening? And I was like, oh, there's only 15 minutes left. I just kind of kept watching. So really easy watch. Look, I really like Zoe Kravitz. I think she, you know, she does some really interesting stuff. I loved her version of High Fidelity. It was on ABC in Australia and made for Hulu in America in 20. 20- 
2020 now, I think, um, and obviously her role in, in Big Little Lies. But she's really good in this. Like she's playing, as you said, a woman who's suffering from agoraphobia and the fear of leaving her home. And the way she plays that I thought was very accurate and very interesting as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, the, the scenes where she's, you know, holding the key and kind of just can't can't quite make a way out of her apartment. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. It was good, wasn't it? And then, yeah, the technology element's really interesting. I must admit, you know, the kind of like series really helpful, but are you really comfortable with it? The whole like technology. I did think before I sat down to this movie, I prejudged it a little bit because I was like, oh, I've watched so many shows and sat through pilots for things over the years that are all about, you know, evil technology. There was one a few years ago, Next, starring John Slattery, I think, you know, but like, you know, where the machine starts to turn evil or is actually recording everything that you're doing. To your point, this takes it in quite an old-fashioned way in that it's a, it's a way in, but then what happens? Yeah, like you said, so many shows and movies like this are usually built around a fear of technology or technological overreach or whatever, but this could have just as easily been like a voicemail left on an answering machine or something someone overhears at a shop. I do like that it didn't play into sort of a fear of technology as the sort of premise of the film. I do think it's a very cool way into this story. A couple of other reviews have, um, you know, called it Hitchcockian, um, which I think is a pretty fair review. It actually inspired me to watch Rope, which is an Alfred Hitchcock film that we have on Binge, um, which takes place, again, this film doesn't really take place in too many different locations. Um, There's a lot of time of her in her apartment and on her computer. Similarly, Rope is um, a Hitchcock film that sort of just takes place in, in in an apartment as well. And is it actually shot? It's set in Seattle. Her apartment's pretty awesome. It's like a big warehouse converted thing where they've got like room dividers but not actual rooms. It's pretty cool, isn't it? But was it actually shot in Seattle? Because there were some cool street scenes as well that I was like, oh, again. Remember when like you used to watch films in the 90s and they were like running, walking through the streets of Chicago or someone was chasing them? And I liked that element to it as well. It had some old-fashioned elements to it. Okay, so easy, good Date night, Friday night, weekend, weekday binge, not too long. I think there's some ways into the story and telling the story that will feel really familiar, but a cool kind of world that it's set in, a little bit of dark web, scary, underground, underworld kind of a component to it as well, which, um, yeah, makes it very interesting. Okay, so before we uh, give away the ending, just a reminder that uh, Kimmy is streaming now for you on Binge. If you want a little bit more Zoe Kravitz in your life, we've also got Big Little Lies. And if, like me, uh, watching this uh, reminded you of Hitchcock and his films, we've also got a couple of those on Binge as well, including Rope and The Birds. Close your files, come to my office. We'll listen to the recordings together. Miss Childs, I have to know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with what sounds like a premeditated murder. How do I know that? Because I just told you twice now. And now for something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the new comedy horror Shining Veil starring Courtney Cox. Ali, you have not seen any of this, have you? I have not, but I like comedy. I don't so much like horror. So I think maybe then us both talking about this one this week, John, you can pitch me why I should watch this show. Okay, well, before I convince you to watch Shining Vale, let's have a little listen. Hey guys, this move is really gonna be great for us. Probably not. Are you shitting us? No, we're not shitting you. Let's go check it out. 
Welcome to Shining Vale. Really cold in here. Does the heat work? I mean, the house has been empty for nearly two years. She's probably not used to having people inside of her. An author moves her family from the city to a small town to help break her writer's block and finish a long overdue manuscript. With all the hallmarks of a haunted house, their new home immediately begins to alarm Pat Phelps, portrayed by Courtney Cox, but her family doesn't seem to notice a thing, leading her to wonder if the house is really possessed or if she's just going crazy. The comedy horror Shining Veil leans into the idea that we all have our demons, but in this case, they might be real. Ali, you've made it clear horror is maybe not your favourite genre. But when I watch it, I do feel kind of proud of myself and I find that I do enjoy the extension of watching something that I'm a bit uncomfortable with. So it's not that I don't watch it, but it's just not my natural bedfellow. It's not the thing I rush to. It is the first thing, I suppose. Well, I think for your benefit, this is not what I would call like terrifying. (laughs) There's jump scares, there's ghosts in windows and there's like flashing lights, but there isn't, from the pilot at least, there isn't buckets of blood, there isn't torture or anything like that. So it's definitely, I would say, more leaning into the comedy side of comedy horror. And like Um, funny ghosts? Yeah, so the kind of premise that we build up to with the pilot, and again, I'm not sure where the series goes, um, we get to watch it along with everyone else when it starts next week. The premise is Courtney Cox plays this character, Pat, She had like one successful book 20 years ago and it was kind of like a Fifty Shades of Grey sort of like sexy adult time novel. And uh, she hasn't been able to do a follow-up and, you know, what's wrong with her. Uh, There's a few flashbacks to some like therapy sessions with her and her husband, who's played brilliantly by Greg Kinnear. And in the therapy sessions, you find out that she's had an affair and that her mother has like a history of psychosis. And there's like, you know, a bit of brooding menace in the the background that they're hoping this, you know, move to this, you know, big new house in a new town will sort of help dispel but of course what happens is as soon as she moved as soon as they move into this massive house the pat played by courtney cox starts to like hear things and see things and thinks she sees people on the other side of the road who aren't there or thinks she sees someone in the backyard who nobody else sees um so her family are like what's wrong with you you're going crazy because they're not seeing any of these people it's not a spoiler it's in the first episode we meet this rosemary character who it turns out had owned the house previously and a lot of bad stuff went down in the house and it appears that pat the courtney cox character can see Rosemary and nobody else can. And that's kind of the kickoff for the whole series is, is she going crazy? (laughs) Is she just sort of following in her mother's footsteps and having a breakdown? Is the pressure of writing the book getting too much to her? Or have they actually bought this haunted house and this woman from the past who used to own the house um, is now haunting for some reason, just Courtney Cox. I think you're going to like this show, Ali. Okay, um, okay. Well, you, the pitch is going well. The interesting part is, like, it's not just, oh, you move into a haunted house, the whole family's scared. Like, I think what's interesting is you're really focusing on the main character, played by Courtney Cox, who is going through this, like, struggle in her life where she's had an affair and her mother had mental illness problems at the same age as that she is now and she's got writer's block and she's like how am I going to write this book how am I going to support my family and then suddenly this like ghost from the past appears and like starts to help her write the novel (laughs) becomes her muse then the question is like is she just going a little crazy and this ghost is helping her get through this stress in her life or are they really in a haunted house um so a lot is set up could it be both like a haunted house the ghost helping but it's actually going to get her through the problem in her life 
Yeah, yeah, totally. This is all just set up in the first episode. So we've got eight half hour episodes to explore what's happening. I'm from what I can gather, she does break her, her writer's block thanks to um this ghost. I should note the ghost is both portrayed by Mira Sorvino. I was about um, to ask. Yeah. I know she's in this. So yeah. is she the ghost or is she the mom? I wasn't quite sure who she yeah, was. Yeah, so um Mira Sorvino plays yep. plays Rosemary, the um the friendly ghost. The woman who's haunting Shining Vale, where they've just moved into. Yeah, as I mentioned, Greg Kinnear is the husband. There's two sort of teenage kids who are sort of didn't want to move there and are just happy to, you know, use their iPads in their bedrooms in a massive house. Everything seems to be going over their head. Or yeah. they're watching Euphoria on their iPads and the parents don't know what they're doing, but yep. Yeah, like every <laughs> every household in Australia at the moment. But yeah, the other thing I would note just about the um, sort of creatives behind this, and if you're not already sold, I think this will sell sell some more people onto why you should watch this, is that this show is created and written by Sharon Horgan. People don't know the name. They will definitely know some of her shows, which include Catastrophe, which she also starred in, and that HBO series Divorce, which she created and starred Sarah Jessica Parker. Which I didn't means- know she was behind Divorce, and I yeah. love Catastrophe. Love, yeah. love, 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 love. Okay, yes. cool. Um, well, you are. You're adding there's more ticks against my... You know, it's a it's pretty, you know, why do I need to watch this show? I'm I'm getting there. Good people. The cast is awesome. I mean, Courtney Cox aside, I love Mira Savino. So and she just did a little cameo or she gave an award at the SAGs this week. Yeah, did a Romy and Michelle kind of thing with um Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow, thank you. Yeah. So maybe she's just hanging out with the friends cast. Yeah. So I would I would definitely not let the horror in the horror comedy part of this genre scare you if that is something that, that concerns you. It does have this really cool sort of comedy drama pedigree with um with Sharon Hogan driving the story. There are eight half hour episodes in, in the first season of Shining Vale, and we've got new episodes dropping each Monday for you on binge. Use your words, Patricia. And keep it filthy. That's your brand. All of a sudden, I wrote 13 pages. I don't remember writing. I'm good. I found my muse. Okay, put the axe down. John, Dinner Party Reco, what is great on Binge that you need to help us discover or know about? So I, I feel like I recommend a lot of documentaries. Um, yes, yes, you do. You do. You do a lot, which is good. We're getting smarter yeah. and angrier and like, yeah. So I have another factual recommendation. This one's a documentary, but I would call it a constructed documentary, but not a reality show. If I've not, Ooh, okay. if I've not, if I've not confused you enough, I'm confused, and I work in television. Like, <laughs> guess the genre. Okay, yeah. go. <laughs> uh, so I am talking about a one-off documentary that HBO made in 2013, which we have streaming on Binge, and it is called Americans in Bed. The first time I saw her, I wanted to nail her. At the beginning of our relationship, what we did was try to figure out where we we're going to fool around. Yeah, silly. When we first made love, he cried <laughs> like a baby. That didn't happen. I consider myself polyamorous. I can have a girlfriend and still be physical with other people. I don't understand it. This is basically Gogglebox in bed. There are 10 couples. They are in their actual beds in varying degrees of clothedness. They are just... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go on, yeah. Americans in bed. Like, okay, yeah. 10 couples. There is a camera at the end of their bed. They are sitting up in bed. Um, Are we talking about Pam and Tommy? I think that's on a different platform, John. No, no. This is a (laughs) nine-year-old documentary from HBO. (laughs) And what I find compelling about this, this is an 80-minute documentary, so this isn't short. This is like a feature doc. And the whole thing is just cut between these 10 couples talking about like 
love and sex and marriage and trust and fidelity and all these things. And it just cuts between them. And it is somehow super compelling. Do they talk about like who bought the milk and what's happening to kids at school and all that stuff? Or is it more no, interesting? No, like, no, no. It's, it's more, it's <laughs> more interesting than that. So it's kind of broken up into like semi-chapters where they like talk about how they met or talk about their marriage or talk about their wedding or like did they fall in love or like did they fall in love at first sight or one of them You know, they'd fallen in love at some point if they got well, married. Yeah, you know well, the interesting, yeah. and that's kind of what I love because it cuts through between these 10 different couples. Some of them are straight, some of them are gay, some of them are newlyweds and are like only a few months into marriage. One of the couples are in their 90s and have been married for 70 years. One of them is like an open relationship where they like both have other partners. There's, you know, couples that are two men, couples that are two women, couples that have sort of like strong religious or cultural traditions. It's all these couples talking about these universal themes of falling in love or jealousy or like who raises the kids and all that kind of stuff. But because they all have such sort of interesting backgrounds, you're able to see the differences in the way these people talk about their life and their, you know, coupledom and partnership that they have with this person. You know, it's fascinating to watch a young couple in an open relationship contrasted with a 90-year-old couple who've been together 70 years and that, you know, that was the first man she ever went on a date with when she was mm. 19 and then she got married the next year. And John, despite the cross-section of America, which I suppose is what makes a lot of this really compelling by how you've described it, are there kind of universal themes that start to come through? So despite their unique stories or backgrounds, almost like lessons or things that are coming through by what they talk about? Yeah, totally. I think I've sort of framed it as look at these different people and the way they react differently. But I think what's the sort of beauty of it is despite the differences, you can see that they all want the best for their kids. They all want the best for their partners. They all trying to look after their families. So yeah, there are all these universal themes. It's just really interesting to see, you know, the 20 year old poly couple contrasted with the couple that have been married for 70 years and the newly out gay couple who have to deal with family dramas. And there's a lesbian couple where they met because like the husband was sort of wanted his wife to meet another woman for like a little fantasy he had. Those two women ended up falling in love and are now mm. married. So yeah, there's all these like shows, all these very different routes to finding love and finding the, the person that um can, you know. I love this. So it's almost like social anthropology like a, a different way to kind of almost look at people's love lives and, and how they met, like another way into that wisdom of sharing your love journey. Like I love uh, Trent Dalton did a beautiful book at Christmas just gone about love stories and, you know, interviews people on the street about in his book about about love. But it's um it sounds a bit more thematic than that, but also the cross-section of what you see is so varied and interesting. It is a remake. There was a British documentary called The British in Bed, which, to be fair, has better alliteration than Americans in Bed. <laughs> HBO decided to do an American version of this um, British docker. How interesting. And, and when was it? Is it recent or a few years ago? It's, tw- it's 2013. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's um, not brand new. But, yeah, it's, it's still refreshing even something that's only, um, you know, nine or 10 years old to see them have gay couples and see them have, you know, a really diverse group of people talking about their experience and it not just being a bunch of straight white people. Sex is the most important thing in a relationship and I've always felt that way. I would like to have sex every single day. If I was sitting alone trying to think about all the things that I feel about her, I'd be very emotional. <laughs> he takes care of me. No more. Did I say something wrong? I love you. Maybe not like you, but I love you. Uh, I feel like I've met my soulmate. I'm going to be talking about quite a different show and my my dinner party recommendation this week is Euphoria. And for regular listeners of Skip Intro, they will know that we talked about this a few weeks ago when the new season 
season two had just started in early January, but I just felt it needed to be um, revisited a little bit because this show has is very much in the zeitgeist and has recently finished, last week it finished, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but I just want to say, I think when we were talking about it at the beginning of the season, the first episode had come out and we were talking about the way it was shot this season and where it had gone from the very successful season one. But this show's just continued to impress me. Some of the episodes in this series have been just remarkable and the acting on top of the, the genius of creator, writer and director Sam Levinson and where he takes this story. But the way it finished and kind of wrapped together in the final episode of this season was, I thought, brilliant with a, yeah, a huge final episode. So if anyone um, didn't believe us when we talked about it a few weeks ago as a reason to get into Euphoria, the, some of the first episodes are pretty heavy. You kind of sit there going, who's this show for? Is this for young people? And there's lots of drugs and, you know, what's happening in their lives. But this season for me, it went into more kind of social themes and human motivations and just really complex, interesting drama and storytelling and I um if you've heard people at work talking about this or hearing about what's this euphoria I know we've got lots of of our viewers are coming in and our customers are coming in and just discovering euphoria as well as those that have been along the ride as the seasons dropped but my recommendation is you check out euphoria when I first met her I was just immediately in love how you doing As soon as I saw her, I was just immediately afraid to lose her. When did you relapse? You got that hold so, Rue, the $64,000 question is, what's in the suitcase? I think in a very early episode of this podcast, uh, we were talking about And Just Like That, and I said that I don't think I'd ever seen a show that, like, so so much consumed my social feeds when And Just Like That was just getting going. It just felt like you couldn't open TikTok or Twitter or Facebook or something without a meme or a clip or someone commenting on something. And I think I can now very easily say that Euphoria has, like, gone above and beyond that in terms of conversation. I think, I don't know how official these stats are, but I, uh, I saw an article where it said Euphoria is the most talked about show of the decade. Um, and it's, it definitely feels like that based on this, the social discussion and um, especially, again, not to spoil anything, but there's an episode where a play is performed. And, a few yeah. episodes where a play is performed, yeah. Um, and I just um, have not seen a reaction to an episode of television as much as around the concept of this play that takes place within the, the series. So, yeah, it's... Um, obviously we can't say things without giving it away but uh yeah there are now two complete seasons of euphoria um and two specials yep and two specials and season three has been announced excitedly but uh there was quite a break between one and two and um Zendaya's um quite busy (laughs) so we do famous stars in the world now isn't she yeah so um you know we don't have any inside track on when season three is coming but um yeah plenty of time to catch up yeah, it kind of feels, it's kind of crossed into genius once in a decade kind of television in its uniqueness and also the depth and the impact of, of how you feel when you watch some of the episodes. So, yeah, get on board, Euphoria. <laughs> Wait, why do you look like that? Like what? Like a country music star. In a good way or a bad way. Bitch, you better be joking. I came up with an amazing plan. And what would that be, Ruth? So are you all ready to do some business? 
Why can't I shake the feeling that there's something you're not telling me? Well, Ali, you did mention Sam Levinson, who's the creative force behind Euphoria, is worth giving a little um, tease that we do have another show from him coming up later this year. It's called The Idol. We don't have a date. We haven't seen anything. So this is a real tease. Yeah, a new show from the creator of Euphoria, The Idol. will be on binge, uh, we hope, later this year. It's got a great cast, including uh, Lily Rose Depp. And besides Sam Levinson, uh, it's also got The Weeknd is one of the sort of creative forces behind it. And it looks like it's set in sort of the, the music world, fame and um, all that. Oh, so, well, the way he's, the way Sam Levinson has put music through Euphoria and the soundtrack for the show, I just can't wait to see what he does with this, if it's, if it's actually about music. Awesome. So this week on Skip Intro, we discussed the new film from Steven Soderbergh, Kimmy, which is streaming right now we talked about the new horror comedy starring Courtney Cox Shining Vale which is um, streaming weekly I suggested you check out the 2013 documentary Americans in Bed which hopefully Ali will watch and we can talk about later Um, and Ali reminded all of us that if we are not up to date with Euphoria we absolutely have to so that's all of us from this week all of these are streaming on binge of course which you can find on your favorite device I'm John Bowen Ali as always great to chat Thanks, John. Lovely to be here. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates, and we'll be back next week. 